4 o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. 4 o'clock hour is here. Candy alongside Cofield. Ari is in our Finley Toyota Studios. Giveaway time right now. Caller 7. Two tickets to go see Volbeat. Servant of the Road Tour. The theater at Virgin. It's on March 4th, so right around the corner, 7 o'clock show. You can get your own tickets at AXS.com, 364-1100. Volbeat tickets, 364-1100 is the number, caller number 7. All right, Candy, how many of the states are we getting in? And I'm curious, how long does it take the other states to get all their information collected on handle and win for the Super Bowl? Nevada was in yesterday, $180 million. Uh, the win was... Very robust. I think it was like 8.6% win. That's that's good. That's real good. So what are we looking at for the rest of the country? Yeah, game going under and dog covering is always going to be good for yes. the books in the end. But uh, what we've seen thus far, eight states have broken out their Super Bowl reporting separately. Normally, we get these every month. Some of them report it immediately after the Super Bowl. Eight states in more than $400 million wagered just on the Super Bowl. That's produced $33 million in revenue, so you're looking at 6 to 7% hold thus far on uh, on what's there. So that's pretty good overall. Now, it includes Jersey. Yeah. Jersey at about 143. Um, that's up in terms of handle from last year. We don't have New York yet. We're expecting New York to be close to as big as Nevada, if not bigger. We don't have Michigan yet. We could see a total of $1 billion legally wagered on the Super Bowl by the time this is all reported. Are you surprised? And I don't know that we have all the details on what the win entailed, but I expected uh, Nevada to have good win numbers. But based on what we've seen the last year or so, the other states have kicked booty on the win. Were you surprised that I think Jersey checked in with like a 5.4% win and Nevada had 8.6%? And I, I kind of wonder if some of that might be in-game related uh, because some of these other states have better in-game products than okay. Nevada does. You might have people chasing a little bit more during the game. Uh, might be folks who thought the Rams were going to be able to cover the spread and maybe went in on some live numbers. I'm not saying that's the whole thing, but might have something to do with it overall. So after watching Stafford, and it wasn't really his choice, he... I mean, I guess he had to agree to it in the end. But after watching Stafford go from a terrible team that couldn't sniff the Super Bowl to winning it, right, in L.A., and watching Brady, who viewed the Patriots in a bit of a decline and really wasn't even his choice because Belichick just said, get out. After watching the last two Super Bowls, won by quarterbacks who were on the move, how much do you think that factors into Aaron Rodgers' decision? Doesn't he have to leave Green Bay if everything isn't perfect? Like Devontae Adams? Devontae Adams, not there. Could be not perfect. Well, that takes it from not perfect to oh my God. Like, right. you can't, like there's no in-between there. If Devontae Adams isn't staying in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers sure as hell ain't staying in Green Bay. Like, get that through your head right now. This is not like, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers will make it work. He always seems to get the job done. No, like Rodgers is not coming back if Devontae Adams isn't coming back because what does that Green Bay team have 
if they don't have Devontae Adams to go with Aaron Rodgers. You can't make Alan Lazard your number one receiver. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, I don't think it's the same as Stafford. You have a Super Bowl already. You have what you need to make your career full. Four MVPs. You've won the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford had none of that. And so I think Aaron Rodgers is in a much better position to just call a shot or walk away. I why? What's left? He doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. So we just mentioned uh, some of the TV numbers with Arash Markazi, who uh, covers the L.A. scene. And L.A. actually finished outside of the top 10 in terms of market share watching the game. Um, I don't love to lean on the, hey, it's 75 because, Candy, I'm not sure if you were on with me or not. I don't know who's on each day anymore. But uh, I – no, you know what? I don't even think I talked about this on the air. I was looking around the Boise Arena on Friday night as UNLV's in town. Boise at that point is sitting at whatever they were, 10-1, and one, having a great season, certainly in the mix for an NCAA tournament bid. And I was thinking to myself, this is a 9 o'clock start. There's no way these fans are going to show up. I mean, this essentially what I saw at Boise, and, and the crowd I, I think was less than 4,000. Whatever they reported, it was less than 4,000. They had 10-4 the week before for San Jose State on a Saturday at 4 o'clock. The Mountain West fans who live in the Mountain time zone will not go to games at 9 o'clock their time, and that was the genesis, if you, as you remember, back to 2006 when we started that stupid Mountain West network that did not work and hurt the league for 15 years because they weren't tied to uh, ESPN. So let me come full circle here. When you could see there wasn't much of a crowd, I heard someone near the Boise program who actually said, well, it's a Friday. There's a lot to do in Boise. I'm like, okay, does every does every city and every region get to use this excuse about how awesome their area is, whether it's weather or the hustle and bustle on a Friday night as an excuse for not turning out in big numbers? Cofield, I have spent more than my share of Friday nights in Boise. Yes. Let me make one thing clear. There ain't a damn thing to do. And I like downtown Boise. I'm someone too. who enjoys going there. And by 9 o'clock, there are like three bars still open. Don't tell me there's a <laughs> lot to do in Boise on a Friday night. Get the hell out with that. Uh, by the way, you were wondering, did I say this on the air? Did I say it to you? You said this to me off air at the, at the Westgate on Sunday. Oh, no. that's, why you, that's why you were remembering it. Um, I, was, I was hesitating. I'm yeah. like, did I say this or not? But no, with L.A., no. with this, yeah, does I, L.A. get to keep... I mean, Arash just pointed out, they, there were over 2 million people watching. And in the end, that's the most important part. Um, does L.A. get to use the, hey, the weather thing, even though it's, you know, the beginning of February? That's an excuse for people not watching? I don't know if they get to use the weather thing so much as this is why the Rams moved in the first place. Like, the, the, the lack of overall support for L.A. teams. This is why you had multiple teams leave that city. This is why the Chargers couldn't fill up a soccer stadium. This is why the Rams couldn't fill up the Coliseum before they got into SoFi. I, I think it's less about the weather and just more about what that fan base is overall. You said it. They care about the Dodgers. They care about the Lakers. And everybody else is fighting for third. But I do think weather matters when cities come through in a big way. I mean, listen to the list of cities that had the highest shares in terms of uh, TVs wa you know, watching the Super Bowl. Cincinnati, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Cleveland. 
Oh boy. That is a motley crew of rough places to exist in February. And how about Detroit coming through for Stafford yeah, and cool. Columbus and Cincinnati coming through, uh, should, sorry, Columbus and Cleveland coming through for Ohio, coming through for Joey B. How about it, huh? That's loyalty. That's loyalty. You know what? There is a case to be made, and I'm making it, that Detroit has more claim to Matthew Stafford than L.A. does. Matthew Stafford spent most of his life in Detroit. Right. He didn't choose to leave. He got traded. Detroit fans should get a little piece of this. They should be flying out some people from Detroit to take advantage of this parade and the 75-degree weather. You watched <laughs> the Lions for all this time? You watched Matthew Stafford on TV in the Super Bowl and it came in as the second-rated market? Not out here and have some of this weather. That's actually a good point. Shouldn't like GM have almost a float of their own? Like a Detroit float? And even if yes. Stafford won't go on the Detroit float, just have like a hologram Stafford or... You know, some sort of Calvin uh, Johnson. We should have Calvin yeah, Johnson on the, Detroit, on the GM float. That'd be fantastic. Like ghosts of Detroit past. Can we get can we get Vinny Johnson? Is Vinny Johnson the microwave available? <laughs> the Let's get Vinny Johnson on there too. Candy Cofield. Ari. <laughs> it's a football frenzy. All right, final story in the frenzy. The staff is coming together with the Raiders. It Do you is, have any issue with some of the names that are being added here down the stretch? It's as though you know what I was going to say about that. Um, so we talked on Sunday a little bit about the Mick Lombardi hire and the fact that 2022 is quite a strange time for a franchise to be thumbing its nose at the idea of nepotism and hiring maybe without the requisite qualifications. And I'm not saying that Mick Lombardi isn't qualified coming over as the Patriots wide receivers coach to be the offensive coordinator of the Raiders. But I'm saying if someone out there wants to make that case that the son of Mike Lombardi, who might be potentially jumping the line, could be a nepotism hire, if they want to make that case, I can't argue it. Can't argue it. And, and now Antonio Pierce former Giants linebacker comes over to the coaching staff as well. Where did Antonio Pierce arrive from? Oh, from Herm Edwards and the cloud of terrible that is surrounding the Arizona State program at the moment after their dead period recruiting violations. He is the fifth coach to leave the Arizona State staff when they are still under investigation for what could be potentially serious recruiting violations during the COVID times. And Look, is Antonio Pierce possibly a qualified candidate for the Raiders coaching staff? Absolutely. But man, are you telling me there's nobody without problems or questions that was available for this staff? Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Right now, I do not. Matthew Stafford just had a hell of a postseason, hell of a season, and deserves a lot of credit. But I think we got to pump the brakes a little on going right from the Super Bowl to Canton. One Pro Bowl, never been an All-Pro, finished top five in passer rating once and top five in touchdowns three times. Now, back to Cofield and Company. 
on ESPN Las Vegas. I think I'd like a former quarterback's opinion on that one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Am I in trouble? Uh, Mini Kimes on the way back saying that Matthew Stafford is not a Hall of Famer. I don't think that's a, a super intense, hard take. I, I will say this, and Miles Simmons is in with us. Um, I do think Matt Stafford will turn out to have a better career and, frankly, has already had a better career than Kurt Warner. But maybe oh. his story, maybe his story isn't as great. Hell yeah! I, I frankly, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble with this from some people I, I you know, still know in, at the Rams. But I don't think Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer. Why is I, Kurt Warner in the Hall of Fame? I, I don't know. One Super Bowl and like I, I never he got had it. like three or four really good years and a bunch of mediocre ones. I mean, think about this. You know, he how many times was that guy benched? He's benched on the Rams. Like, what, what, I don't, I just, I'll never get that one. I, I won't. I mean, he is, he does have a wonderful story. It's an incredible story. He and his wife have done some amazing things, you know, just based on what their life story is. But I don't know. It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And like, I don't even know if Kurt Warner belongs in the Football Hall of Very Good. Oh, wow. Uh, Candy, so that we don't get a call from uh, Brenda Warner in the next couple of minutes, do you want to step up for your boy Kurt? Do you think the Hall of Fame is about sustained excellence, or do you think it's about what your peak looks like? Because if it's about peak years, if yeah. you're going to talk about three or four great years, those peak years for Kurt Warner are better than anything Matthew Stafford will ever do in his career. Will ever do? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking Ooh, about It's about not that. Kurt Warner versus Matthew Stafford. It's about I, – I think it is about sustained excellence. I mean, like, I'm not I, – I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in the, is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer conversation? Like, I know we're doing sports radio and like, that's what we do, but like, I'm not interested in that. Like, why, just because Richard Sherman says something and there should be some debate as to whether or not Richard Sherman is a Hall of Famer too, right? Like, I don't understand why we all have to like kowtow to this. There there are other fun things to talk about. Man. Kowtow. Wow. Wow, we are such simpletons. Why does this guy even give us his time? <laughs> well, that's why he's on Peacock right there. Those kind of hard takes. That was impressive. Miles Simmons, our football insider from Pro Football Talk, is here with us. We got right into an argument right out of the gates. I don't, I don't know why we had to do that. Um, I, I do want to throw out a, a bunch of Rams points. First of all, you sent out a message saying, you know, for, you, for those of you who followed me for a long time and basically explained that, you know, this meant something to you because you did work with and around the Rams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was personal for me. And it was like, you know, you're, you're in the press box and you're watching the confetti come down. And like, I'm seeing people who are on the field who are my friends. Like, you know, some of my best friends in life still work for the Los Angeles Rams. And so, yeah, it was definitely a little emotional for me just sitting in there and like trying to write the last few things that I needed to write. And you're trying to take care of stuff and you're an objective reporter and all those different types of things. But yeah, it was, it was awesome for me to see um, so much hard work that I know went into a lot of those people who are still there with the Rams and what they've been doing. I mean, I'm talking about like you know, the trainers, right? The people you, you don't know who are behind the scenes, who have done some incredible work, getting guys rehabbed and getting guys back on the field and, you know, sacrificing so much of their time for these players. Um, you know, it, it, that meant something to me because I know how hard um, those guys work. So, you know, those men and women work, I really should say. So yeah, that it was, it was cool for me to be able to see it and for it to be here in LA as well. I, that, that was pretty special. Let's talk about the game miles. The last two plays while spectacular in terms of what Aaron Donald did 
to get down P Ryan and then get the sack on fourth down. Did Zach Taylor kind of lock up on the play calls? Uh, he might have. I mean, I saw that he was saying that you know they thought they could get a free first down or steal a first down. I think is actually what he said um, with that Piran run. But <laughs> for somebody who coached on the Los Angeles Rams for two years, you know that Aaron Donald is right there in the middle. I don't know what the hell you're thinking, man. Like, there's nothing that's going to be for free when the game's on the line and Aaron Donald's on the other side of the line of scrimmage. That like I I think he just lost his head a little bit. You know, it's not a video game. You've got somebody out there who you want to talk about Hall of Famers. That dude is a walk-in Hall of Famer in Aaron Donald. So when the game's on the line and his legacy is somewhat on the line, he steps up. He makes not just that one play on third down, but then of course the play on fourth down. And now there's nothing left for him to do on his resume. I'll even give you an alternative Zach Taylor world where he decides to try to steal a first down with Joe Mixon. Right, like if you're sure. going to go and have that run, Miles, do, do you want to live and die on your season with Samaji Pirine, a guy who has essentially <laughs> been your third down back? I, I certainly would not. No, I, I wouldn't. But I mean, I think in some ways it's like you're almost out coaching yourself, right? You're, you're thinking, okay, well, we've got this situation. We've already got this personnel on the field. Let's try to do this quickly. And maybe they're not going to be expecting it because they don't necessarily expect something from Samaji Pirine like a run, you know? So in that way, he might have thought too much about it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you sort of expect that your OL is going to be able to pick up one yard. I don't know why that OL would be able to pick up one yard against the personnel they were going up against, right? You know, you get into the Jimmys and Joes instead of the X's and O's conversation. And I think from an offensive line versus defensive line standpoint, the Rams clearly had an advantage and it showed throughout the game, but especially on those two plays. Miles, who walks first from football? Is it Aaron Donald? Is it Sean McVay? And does either one of them do it in the next three years? Oh, see, this is a good this is a good sports radio question. Um, I I would think it's probably going to be Sean McVay, um, and I say that because Aaron Donald knows nothing but playing football. Like this dude, and I, I know him a little bit, right? So I I understand that you know when he was young, you know we're talking like middle school age, getting into high school. He tells the story of how his dad was like, you're a little chubby. You need to start lifting weights. We're going to start lifting weights together. So they start <laughs> lifting weights in the basement of his dad's house, right? And there's a piece, it's probably on YouTube if you really want to go see it, that the Rams did a few years ago. And it's all about how he was in the, dun the dungeon is what he called it. And those weights are still there. And when he goes back to Pittsburgh, he still sometimes works out there, right, and gets in a lift in. So – this is something that he's been training to do basically all his life. He's still at the peak of his powers, right? I mean, we we're just talking about those two plays. I can't see him walking away from football, even though, like, he doesn't necessarily have anything else left to do. But, and, and he's automatically one of the all-time greats already. I don't think that there's much debate on that. Um, but he, if he continues at the level where he's at, and there's no reason to think that he's not, he really could be considered the best defensive player of all time. If he has another couple of these years, maybe he gets another championship. Right? Like I, I would already put him in the discussion with Lawrence Taylor. Now, I was not really alive to see Lawrence Taylor play, so some people might think that's recency bias, and I can hear that argument. But I just feel like Aaron Donald is less likely to walk away from football because I don't know if he can do much else. Sean McVay, I think, could be burned out, especially if you, know, you get through this next season and you're like, man, 
No, I've got this beautiful woman that I just married. He's supposed to get married this summer. I want to start a family. I know what being in football did for my grandfather and you know his relationship with his children. He said either last week or two weeks ago that he feels like his own father could have been a really good coach, but his father saw what his father went through. You know, um, McVay being uh, the one of the architects of the San Francisco 49ers teams and being one of the general manager and he'd been in football his life. So like, I think that there's just a lot at play for Sean McVay. And that's one of those reasons why he might step away for a little bit, do television, make 15 to 18 to $20 million a year to talk about this stuff, have his own family. And then maybe one day he gets the competitive itch again, like John Gruden did and he gets back in it. You know what, buddy? I did watch Lawrence Taylor. He was my favorite football player growing up as a kid in New York. And let me tell you something. I think Aaron Donald's the best <laughs> football player I've ever seen on defense. Honestly, like, okay. I, like as much oh as as much as LT is LT, the sustained level that we've seen Aaron Donald do this with guys, he he's passing a decade in the league at this point. Like he goes back to St. Louis with this team. Cofield, yeah. like come, I, like you still this many years in can't figure out a way to block him. And that's what we talked about with Lawrence Taylor, right? There was no way to block LT. Tecmo Bowl LT is still the biggest legend of all time next to Bo Jackson. And Aaron Donald continues to do it at this level, this deep into his career as an interior lineman. It, to me, it's it's as remarkable as anything I've ever seen. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, man. Like I, So I was with the Rams covering them, working for them when they were in St. Louis. So I remember the week it was they were playing the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. And back then, Jeff Fisher used to let all the media watch all of practice. Of course, we couldn't report on what we saw. But the big thing was that week was finally the week that they were going to let Aaron Donald start. I mean, the only, the only two people who ever didn't let Aaron Donald start in this league were Jeff Fisher and Greg. Greg Williams. And no matter what, it was still, he was a rookie and he was making plays. He was clearly the best player on that defensive line. And that was a defensive line that had just had Robert Quinn reach 19 sacks the year before, right? That defensive line had Chris Long. Chris Long was an outstanding player in this league for many years. So he's been doing it for his entire career, right? I mean, we've got seven straight first team all pros for this guy, eight straight Pro Bowls every single year that he's been in the NFL. So, you know, again, the, the whole sustained excellence conversation or versus, you know, one year of shining bright or however many years you shine bright, like Aaron Donald's on both, you know, he's had the 20 sack season, but he doesn't get less than double digit sacks and he's doing it from the interior. He makes everybody around him on his defense better. And that's just one of those things where, yeah, he he definitely has an argument at this point of being the one of the best defensive players, excuse me, the best defensive player of all time. At Miles A. Simmons up on Twitter, uh, halftime show, best ever. Um, see, this is where I will, I will couch a little bit and say, like, I don't know about that. It, recency bias would say yes. I loved it, though. I thought it was outstanding. You know, our friend Adam Hill, I was talking to him a little bit about it after the game, and it was like, holy crap, man. Like, this is, it was really cool because it energized the entire stadium. And a lot of times, you know, with Super Bowls, you don't quite see that. It's the corporate crowd. It's this, it's that. But it seemed to read as well on TV as it played in the stadium. And I can tell you, man, like, it was awesome. I was bopping the whole time. Last one, uh, review, and this is a real spoiler. Should we do it? Of Euphoria. Am I a Oof. terrible? Am I a terrible person for enjoying the Nate Maddie scene, hoping one of them was getting uh, going to get shot? 
Okay, see, I really thought that he left a bullet in one of those chambers and, like, he was kind of playing Russian roulette. And then he said after, like, oh, the gun was empty, it was empty, like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, was it, though? And so I asked a friend that and she was like, yeah, I thought the same thing. So, I mean, it was very, very traumatic. And, like, he doesn't necessarily seem to think he's the worst person in the world after, you know, giving the DVD over to Jules. Look, if you haven't watched Euphoria by this point, you know, we're at Tuesday in the middle of the week. You, you got to watch it Sunday or Monday. I know the Super Bowl was Sunday, but we got to watch it on Monday then, right? So he's not, he's trying to, like, sort of be a better person, even though he claims he's not a good person. But I don't know about all that. I thought it would have been really interesting if they did kill off one of those characters because that would have been pretty shocking. Would have been. It would have been. Would have made me happy. Would have made me happy. All right, Miles. Yeah. Don't be a sicko like myself. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to, guys. Have a good one. There he is. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, at Miles A. Simmons on Twitter. You can see him on Peacock. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Candy's in Vegas, Finley Toyota Studios. Ari is hanging out and doing a lot of work. Uh, it's Cofield on the road in Fresno. We'll have a bunch on Fresno State and UNLV here over the next uh, show and a half. And we want to remind you that Mr. UNLV, Tyler Bischoff, is going to be hosting another one of his watch parties brought to you by Miller Lite. It's at PT's, PT's Pub. That's the PT's Pub location on Tropicana, right near the campus, uh, right near Maryland. It's the Fresno State game. It's a 7.30 start. You come out, you got $10 Miller Lite pitchers, lots of UNLV prizes, chance to qualify for a staycation at the Strat. You could also win beer for a year from Miller Lite. Like I said, $10 pitchers. During the game, it's the Tropicana and Maryland location, all decked out in UNLV gear. PT's Pub, Miller Lite, ESPN Las Vegas. It's tomorrow night, 7.30 start. Uh, TB is on the scene as UNLV takes on Fresno State. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Back here on ESPN Las Vegas, let's check in with our gambling insider from Nesson, Fox Sports, Sam Paniotovich is with us. All right, Sam, the numbers are coming in, and the sports books did pretty well in terms of handle, and then the win rate kind of varies around the Yeah, it depends on the state, really, but, I mean, I think you're realizing, you look at the numbers, we've seen reported numbers from Nevada, uh, New Jersey went up from last year, and so it's just proof that even though the game maybe isn't as sexy marquee matchup-wise, Remember, people were saying, oh, nobody cares. Nobody's going to watch because it's not Brady or Mahomes or Rodgers or whatever. It was Rams-Bengals, two not very hot teams as far as public interest, and it was the most watched and the most gambled on. So it's proof that people want to get down on these games, and, and that starts with the anthem into the coin toss through the entire first half and then all throughout the game. Yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, Nevada did so well with a hold of 8.6%. That's the win. Uh, I saw New Jersey's numbers. They were around 5.4, and I'm really fascinated to see what happens in places like New York and then, you know, some uh, some smaller states where parlays are really popular. The result was good. I mean, yeah, the numbers are going to fluctuate state by state because people bet different things in different states. But when you just think about the general result of the game where the favorite wins, doesn't cover, 
and the game stays under. Most importantly, first half under and game under. That's why it was a good result for the books. It would have been – I'd be curious to know what the numbers would have looked like if the Bengals would have won the game on the money line. That would oh, have been – yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about not only Bengals plus four and a half and four and plus three and a half, um, but Bengals as high as plus 175. Um, combine that with the likelihood that people likely bangled our uh, parlayed Bengals with other things, and that would have been a much different result. But the favorite winning, not covering, and under is usually a moneymaker for the house. And your uh, your resident mush did not come through. Well, actually he did to his, his uh, true form. Uh, he lost. He did. What do you, he had the Bengals money line, right? He was so smart. He went Bengals money line and Burrow MVP, which oh you boy. should probably make the case it's one or the other. And line was about plus one seventy seventy five. Burrow to win MVP was as high as plus two twenty five. Um, he was actually not looking that bad with about six minutes to go. Of course. Um, when the Bengals are in that game, but in true bartender fashion, it's the fourth quarter melt that leads to the heartbreak. And uh, our guy finished the season much better than last year, 24 and 27 picking NFL games last year, 11 and 23. Yeah. So still awful for two years. So we'll see if uh, he can get back on the horse and lose a bunch for us next year. Sam Peniatovich, Nesson is here on Cofield and company. Did you see any massive wins on the Odell Beckham prop for the first touchdown? Uh, reportedly Drake, had bet like 500000 on it. But I also saw the odds at different places. Like, I was hanging around someone who was like, yeah, I got it, 4-1. to one. I'm like, 4-1? to one. It was like 10-1. to one. If you're getting 4-1 to one on a prop that market-wide is 8-10-1, to one, you're certainly doing something wrong. That's like buying the stock at $100 when you could have bought it at 60 or 80 and you're like, nah, I'll buy it at 100 Now's the time to buy. That's really the same thing. I don't know about big bets I didn't really hear or – uh, try and confirm anything about Drake betting big because you know the drill. Drake, Mayweather, you hear about the wins, but you don't hear about the losses that they take. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, we do hear about the losses that a uh, furniture guy in Houston takes. Uh, Mac apparently lost like $9 million on the Bengals, now lost $22.3 million in bets. But as many people are starting to point out accurately, they're hedges against furniture promotion. So we've hit this before, but how do you cover a guy who's losing all this money, but he's not really losing? He's playing with both hands. I don't like the guy. He's doing it for attention. I've been very clear about that. You know, he, what he does is there's a promotion in his store down around the Houston area where if you buy $3,000 or more worth of furniture and the Bengals win, the furniture is free. So you spend five, 10 grand and Cincinnati wins, you know, you essentially get all that furniture on the house. But what he does then is he bets the underdog on the money line for millions and millions of dollars. So he's fine either way. The problem is I got buddies that bet at these books. They can't get a thousand down on the game, but he can get, you know, two, five million on the game. And and that's really the problem. He's a celebrity better. He's proven that he doesn't really care if he wins or loses. And the, and the money isn't an issue. So right. the books love it because it, it, it makes headlines. What makes headline? Thousand dollar better can't get down two hundred at DraftKings or <laughs> Mattress Mac bets twenty million at DraftKings. You right. tell me. And he loses. I mean, that's the most important thing. He's, he's on the losing side. So, of course, the books are like, yeah, we'll do it. And, he, and he, I'm guessing I don't track everywhere he bets, but he, he comes back. They wouldn't take his money if he weren't coming back. So, uh, yeah, so he lost on the Bengals. Um, the, to me, the betting starts in the pregame with the National Anthem. We still don't have it on the board here in Vegas. It was 99 seconds, which I thought 
just looking at it, it was kind of low because we've seen many of them go 150 upwards of you know 210. And Mickey Guyton had a 99 second, one minute and 39 seconds, and she freaking blew it out of the water. And the final brave over under six and a half seconds on the brave, easiest bet of the day. I wrote about this on Nesson last week, and I one of my bosses say, "You got a problem." And I said, look, I, what I did was I went and watched a couple of old anthems where she held Brave for seven and eight seconds. So to me, I, I thought it was decent. You add in the fact that it's the Super Bowl and there's 100 million people watching the game, hold that longer. And really for her, it was there was a, a free, a long free, then the pause to get some wind, oh, which yeah. was about a two-second pause, and then the long Brave. And we were watching the game at the Westgate with the Barbers, Ronde and Tiki, you know, NFL greats, Ronde oh, yeah? and Tiki Barbers. All right. And they are they are with their wives and like a couple friends, and then it's me and ten people who bet for a living, basically. And we got over a minute thirty. Got the good number. Oh. Got over a minute thirty. Got over a minute thirty-five. And it's a whole it's a whole freaking ordeal. The one guy's like, "Hey, stopwatch, I'm on it." And then throughout the anthem, forty-five minute minute fifteen, we're getting live updates, and the room is getting louder and louder. She starts holding those big notes. The room explodes. Ronnie and Tiki are like, where the hell are we right now? You know, imagine watching it from their perspective, watching a bunch of degenerates fire on the over on the anthem. They they knew what was going on. I mean, they had skin in the game, but they didn't have money on the anthem like right. some of those jokes in the room did. That's awesome. I love that. Sam Paniotovic is up. We're breaking down the Super Bowl, uh, the aftermath. Uh, we're going to look ahead in a little bit to uh, some future odds. Um, some of the bets that I thought were really interesting. Uh, will the team that scores... Last win, yes, was 210. I went against that. That didn't work out. I was kind of screwed down the stretch. Total players to attempt to pass. That one turned out to be a really easy winner on the over. That was a very easy prop, but it wasn't as easy as the sack prop, which was anywhere from five to five and a half. Burrow got drilled and dropped seven times. Uh, total sacks in the game was nine. Uh, to your point, four players threw a pass, uh, mixing with the touchdown pass, and then Cooper Cup. Uh, attempted a pass to Matthew Stafford, which if he would have caught that, remember Westgate opened Stafford at 20-1 to to catch a pass. That would not have been a good result for the house. The one bet that I really thought I had a chance on was the halftime tie, which I talked to you about last week. You know, 10-1, 100 wins 1,000. It's 13-10, man, and the Bengals got the ball back with plenty of time. I think they got to about the 40-yard line uh, before they couldn't convert on third and short. I was really, as we got to the two-minute mark, I'm thinking, oh, man, 13-13 is very possible. <laughs> um, the other problem, I don't know if you saw this, because at this point you either turned the game off or you didn't pay attention or you're too drunk to even realize. Stafford's rushing prop closed at six and a half. Right. He was on seven and then dropped back, took a knee, minus one, lands six. That's the risk. That is the risk. <laughs> I mean, there are so many close calls out <laughs> Uh, Todd Dewey and the RJ was writing about uh, one guy who had bet, I think, three different $1 million bets, and he, he actually won two of them. He missed the third because of the you know the missed extra point. What a freaking loss. Yeah, and they actually they clarified that bet as a two-point attempt because once the, the extra point goes to the wayside, the, the snap is muffed or the hold is muffed or whatever, that does turn into a two-point attempt, and we had people that – had bet, you know, no on the successful two-point attempt. And, and it came through, but it, it wasn't by design. You know, they didn't go for two. They just sort of turned into a two-point play on the fly. But but that's this game, man. And, you know, there, there are results happening. I've, I've sat in sports books in the past for the Super Bowl. The whole first quarter, 
and first half is them reading results. You know, Stafford first pass complete for nine yards. Well, double loser or <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, one of my guys, you know, one of my buddies, he's got the over on the longest punt for the whole game. Yep. And it's, it's 55 and a half yards, and every punt he just gets – Boom! He, he's screaming boom as these guys are punting these balls. <laughs> 12 punts in the game, Steve. 12. The number closed 55 and a half. The longest punt was 55. And that was the first one because I was tracking that as well because I put some props in with the kicks against the longest pass reception. And then, you know, I, I watched Jalen Ramsey get his head ripped off, which, by the way, the officials today – they're like, no, there was no penalty on that. Okay, but 75-yard pass to T. Higgins. So at that point, all of my kick props against longest pass reception, dead in the water. Sam Peniatovich with us. All right, Sam, let's look ahead a little bit. Let's look ahead. Uh, odds to win next year's Super Bowl. What are we looking at right now? Who's the favorite? Buffalo Bills are favorite at most sports books. It's really that one-two punch, and I think they're interchangeable. You see some books have Buffalo 7-1, to Kansas City 8-1. to I saw one book had KC 7 and Buffalo 750. It's them two. And then there's a the drop off the Rams about the three line. Surprised to see Caesars have the Bengals at 14 to 1. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm making that bet anytime soon, especially considering how the Super Bowl loser tends to perform the following year. And, and that kid, you know, he's very good. But if they don't get him some protection, that's not going to be a long career the way he gets decked in these big games. Sacked nine times against Tennessee seven against the Rams. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and say that, you know, he's the next Andrew Luck who has a very good start to his career and then doesn't really do much after postseason-wise. But if he keeps getting drilled like that, he was sacked the most in the regular season. Um, That's not a team I'm going to take. Here's one that's interesting, though. It's in your neck of the woods in the AFC West, and this is just predicated on a belief that Aaron Rodgers doesn't stay in Green Bay. If he goes to Denver, man, that 22-1 to all of a sudden becomes 12-1. to That team is a quarterback away from being a contender. They have a top five, top ten roster, but a bottom five quarterback room. If Rodgers goes to Denver, 22-1 to is not available the following day, if you follow. Yeah. Um, along those lines of the speculation bet on a team getting an elite quarterback, and that can include Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or uh, A-Rodge, uh, the Colts are 25-1, to the Eagles are 40-1, to the Steelers are 50-1. to <sighs> Um, not the Steelers. I don't know that they have the offensive line or the offensive weapon. I do like Mike Tomlin a lot. Philly has some speed, that's for sure. Ed Sammons at the Westgate loves their their offensive weapons. Their line isn't great, and I think we've we've learned that Jalen Hurts can be okay, but he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna take you to the promised land. Um, I guess to me, you look at the offensive line and the running game with Jonathan Taylor. How do you not take a look at an Indianapolis at 25 to 1? I right. think that, that that's sort of a halfway number. I think the Colts would probably be 35, 40 to 1. And if they get Russell Wilson, then they're 17 to 1 or something like that. This is this is a halfway number. Like they know they're going to do something, but they don't know what they're going to do. Sounds like Carson Wentz era is over, and I don't believe Sam Ellinger will start at quarterback. So no. of those three you just offered. I'd go Colts at 25. Last one, uh, Caesars William Hill has MVP odds up. Uh, Rodgers is the favorite, I guess, regardless of what team he's on at 7-1. to one. Longer odds, if I were going to play, uh, I might look at Lamar Jackson at 22-1, to one, Dak Prescott at 22, and if Cooper Cup goes 140 catches for 1,800 yards and 15 touchdowns, he's a hot name. He's 25-1. to one. 
I bet cup before the other two. What's my number? I don't have it in front of me. What's my number on Josh Allen? Nine to one. If you shop, you can probably find 11 or 12. That would be the guy I would think about. You know, that team has come very close a couple years in a row to making a run. And it's just, that's a team that I would bet on in several ways. I'd look at their win total over when it comes out, probably 11 or so. I would look at them to win the conference and I would look at them to win the Super Bowl. And if all those things come to fruition, there's a very good chance Josh Allen's the MVP. Football season is over. Sam Paniotovich, what do you do? You take two weeks off now? Are you kidding me? I took yesterday <laughs> off. I am back to work today. We got Bruins hockey tonight on Nesson. So uh, we, we get busy here now with hockey home stretch. And then all of a sudden, um, assuming they figure this labor thing out, we got baseball in April. I hope. Fingers crossed. But it never ends, pal. You just get one day off after the Super Bowl and then it's back to work. You are the man. And I have to say to the audience, we made a bet. About a month ago, six weeks ago, you paid off the bet. I won the bet, but unlike so many freaking stiffs on Twitter who talk trash, make bets, and don't pay off, Sam paid off. Well, I still owe you. I owe, I owe the staff naked city, so let's not forget that. Uh, I but forgot that one. Really, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a heads up bet. The heads up bet always gets taken care of. We we got to figure out Beautiful. a day when I can get your crew together and we can send some wings. Sam, have a good week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Sam Paniotovich, our guy out of Boston, loves Vegas, was here over the weekend. You heard a story there about hanging out at Westgate with the Barber Brothers, who were kind of blown away by the frenzy that is Super Bowl Sunday. Candy, how many states do we have up on the legal board for sports betting this time around? 30 plus D.C. How many will we have next year? You might see another four to five new next year. The thing is, it's starting to get to diminishing returns here, right? There are only so many left that are going to be able to legalize. And so, you know, uh, Massachusetts, Ohio will definitely uh, be there for the next Super Bowl. So we're going to see some bigger states come up. But we don't, we're not real positive on California and Texas. California absolutely will not have legal sports betting by the next Super Bowl, nor will Texas. What is going on? California is going to have multiple ballot initiatives going this year. One that's for the tribes to just run it in person. One that's supported by DraftKings and FanDuel to do it online. And you want to know how contentious this is? Both sides have already pledged $100 million each to fight this out. And then there's states like, you know, I'm in Boise on Friday. All I hear about Idaho is people are escaping the hell holes like California because they want freedom and a lack of government intervention. I'm like, Idaho's got to have sports gambling. No sports gambling. Well, government intervention. You didn't say anything about other forms of intervention. I mean, there are other reasons why states like Idaho don't have sports gambling, sir. It's It's still moral hell, basically. We're being finger wagged in places like Idaho that we're not allowed to gamble legally. You, sir, already know you're going to hell, but if you try to gamble in Idaho, you're guaranteeing it. I want to lock it in. I want to lock it in, but I want to do it legally. Come you want to do it and have some fun while you do it. You want to do it 50 bucks at a time. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to roll out a bunch of watch parties. We're going to be uh, out at Tom's Urban right in front of New York, New York for VGK games. Those are home games and road games, and that starts tomorrow. Adam Hill will be on the scene. For Cofield and company, Tom's Urban right in front of New York, New York. And then Greg Salerno, sports guy from Comp 92.3, will be giving out prizes, registering for even better prizes. Tom's Urban, it's tomorrow, will be out there from 3 to 8. Tom's Urban.